0: Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining listeners around the world to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Liz Feldstern in Jerusalem, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alan Podash in California. Alan, how's it going?
1: Liz, it's going great. Uh, I'm very excited to talk with you today. We have so many interesting things to discuss. I think I have a couple of serious questions to ask you. And then I have our usual fun Hanukkah question. But um, I've noticed that the coalition hasn't been making much news lately from my end. Am I seeing that it's kind of stalled, or is there something else going on with the coalition?
0: So quiet, maybe. I wouldn't use the word stalled. I think that as the negotiations really get into their final iterations, There are a couple of reasons why it makes sense that they're happening quietly, Um, you know, partly because we've talked about this before, that the way the, the structure of the government coming together works is that the more time they spend in the agreement process, right, the deeper and deeper they get into it, the more uh, invested they are, and the less likely anybody is to pull out. So as they get into the finer details of, of finalizing and fine-tuning the agreements, they also want to do it more quietly because that feeling of this can't break apart now, we've come too far to let anything happen to it, is is quite strong. And also, I think that uh, we have seen in Israel over the past couple of weeks growing public um you know a concern objection concern yes concern slash objection to how the coalition is coming together not which parties are in it because that as we've said was from the beginning it was very clear right it was sort of a no-brainer who were the parties that naturally? Would sit together with Likud, Netanyahu's party, to form a government, but the um, sort of the extent of the uh, demands uh, that the parties are making and successfully getting in order to be part of these agreements is concerning. That's a good word that you suggested uh, to large segments of the Israeli population. And each time another piece of these agreements comes to light, it sort of fuels that public, um, you know, outside. And so I think they have figured out that they ought to work as quietly as possible if they want to successfully get these agreements hammered out and signed and, and have a government in place.
1: It's good. I didn't mean to jump on the podcast with that big question, but it's one that's been kind of on my mind since following the news this week. There hasn't been a whole lot going on. Most of the attention was on the temporary speakership that we talked about last week also, where um, the previous speaker of the Knesset was brought in on a temporary basis. And, and again, can you just refresh my memory why they would have a temporary speaker and then i have a very off-topic question Are you seeing any um shift within the Likud party of anybody challenging netanyahu's direction or are they all standing pretty much behind him
0: um so first question first so yes yariv Levine, who was the former speaker of the knesset was reinstated in that role Why temporarily? Because his preference is to be the minister of, uh, I forget what, Um, but there's a specific ministerial role that he wants to have, and you can't have both at the same time. So the understanding was that he would be the speaker in the beginning, um, set the agenda, pass the sort of slurry of laws that this government wants to, uh, even before it is officially formed. Those are all in the process right now. They've gone through first and second readings, I think. The third and fourth readings of some of them will happen in the next week or so. Um, and and once those initial legislative pieces are in place, then Levine will be able to accept the ministry that he wants and someone else, presumably a less, a experienced speaker of the Knesset will be able to take on that role. Um. And your second question about shifts within the Likud party. So I, I have not heard anything about movement within the party or people that are, you know, unhappy with Netanyahu. It would be somewhat unusual to hear that kind of um, discussion now right if um a person who has just succeeded in getting elected to the Knesset and hoping to be in the uh in the the coalition in the you know ruling government party is not likely to do something to uh to reduce those chances once the party is formed then the Incentive to keep it together is very strong. And that's when you see members of any one of those parties, you know, sort of threatening to to leave if whatever it is that they want doesn't happen or et cetera, et cetera. But, um, but I haven't heard any dissent within the ranks of Likud so far.
1: So the reason I mention that is because of the last coalition, we always we're hearing you know it only would take one or two people to change their position and it would collapse the the government so in this case you need probably five people to um jump ship in a sense and i just wondered if we were seeing any of that um happening early on um and i guess your answer is is the right one is we'll wait and see how it forms after the government is actually formed because people all want to be back in power again.
0: Exactly. Yeah. What we are seeing more of now is some of that sort of uh, public protest that I talked about before. You know, we've had some sizable at this point uh, protests, several thousand people gathering in Tel Aviv to voice their concerns about this government information. Um, And in fact, the municipality of, uh, or the Tel Aviv mayor's office, decided that they were going to re- to print a massive copy of Israel's Declaration of Independence. I think it's something like 36 meters high um, on the entire side of that building as a statement of you know, these are the values upon which Israel has been founded and our politicians should be mindful of them. So it's a it's an interesting moment in Israeli politics and Israeli society. Um, I, and I, yeah,
1: I just pulled it up um, off the Jerusalem Post website. It's quite an impressive visual to see that. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I have a another question though for you. Isn't that? where yitzhak Rabin was assassinated in the same uh area the city hall is that the same
0: it it might be right on robin square
1: yeah yeah so that that is a i'll put a link to that in our notes but i that's quite a statement so how has that been playing out Have been people talking about it or is it um making an impact
0: I mean, I think in general, it there is a growing, you know, sense of uh, middle politics-wise, middle religion-wise, Israelis becoming more and more sort of on alert and sensitive to is this the moment when there is something that we are supposed to be doing. Politically, is this the moment when we're supposed to be paying attention because it's not politics as usual? It's something that we should be concerned about. And and I do think that that trend is growing. Um, exactly how big it will grow and what will the outcome be? I don't know yet, but, um, but it is significant.
1: So just we'll pay attention to how these types of, demonstrations or communal gatherings against the the current formation of the government plays out i know that again we've talked about the intense disagreement that many people have with some of the policies that are being discussed again none of the policies have been created they're just being discussed uh and bartered around in terms of the different uh, parties that are joining the government i we we, we talked last time about netanyahu asking for an extension of uh, two weeks for him to form the coalition. It's now halfway through that. Uh, What does that look like?
0: So he received at the time he asked for a two week extension, he got a 10 day extension and he still has the option to ask for those additional four days if needed, that would be the very maximum amount of time. So either he will You know, have his coalition in order by um, by the middle of this week, or he'll have he'll ask for another four day extension, and he'll you know finish it up by the twenty fifth. I think would be the final final date, and then the Knesset has a a week to to ratify it after that. Um, so it's you know it's moving along. He's using that extension period, but um.
1: So it's nothing unusual.
0: No, it's nothing unusual. And I don't see any, you know, reason to think that it's necessarily isn't going to come together or is going to, you know, blow up at this point, right? If something happens, it's not going to be, and this is just my opinion, but it's not going to be from the side of the coalition, not finding a way to come together, you know, Whether public pressure forces some change thereafter, um, I think that's where we can keep our eyes on.
1: Okay. Can we shift to a different topic? Sure. Because you know what today is, right? Or for you, it's it's already almost the second day of Hanukkah, but for... (laughs) Uh, Hanukkah starts t- tonight in um, some parts of the world. It's already been your th- your first candle lighting, but I have a, a, an interesting question. So prior to coming on to our podcast, I watched the final of the World Cup where Argentina uh, beat um, France. Uh, was there any additional celebration going on in Jerusalem with the Argentinian team beating France or vice versa? or well, it couldn't be and vice versa because France didn't win. But what kind of what kind of convergence of Hanukkah and World Cup took place in Jerusalem from your perspective?
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness it it's a it's a wild thing in Israeli culture to have the first night of Hanukkah and the last game of the World Cup coincide. These are both sort of a massive uh, Israeli cultural phenomena each in and of themselves and to do both of them at the same night is crazy. I am um, I think, you know the the World Cup, maybe for Americans is hard to wrap one's head around or relate to. but in it's my understanding that every place else in the world besides the United States, it's like it's like the Super Bowl, right? This is the uh, event that everybody's watching also lasts for an entire month which go figure that one out but um but certainly the finals are a big deal and that's what we had tonight and especially in Israel I am um, where we have a pretty significant French population and we have a pretty significant Argentinian population and with the Argentina having uh, Lionel Messi on their team who is like a legend of a soccer player right uh, i mean argentina in general is a pretty legendary team think mean, they've won the world cup three times now um uh, so it was a lot of excitement and coupled with the first night of hanukkah which in israel is always like the biggest night of hanukkah um it's a very big deal where you're going to spend the first night where you're going to light candles the first night so it was pretty crazy our my house personally felt a little bit like a bus depot i don't know had neighbors in and out and family members in and out and candles being lit and penalty kicks being kicked and Sufganyot rolling around i mean it was crazy
1: well I'm, I'm any particular country that people were rooting for or is it just the event
0: well i think people have a soft spot for argentina for sure so I, nobody was disappointed with the outcome <laughs> of the game at least around here so, yeah,
1: so you and it, mentioned- was
0: a, it was an exciting game, right? For, you know, in soccer, you can definitely have games that are, have hardly any score whatsoever, right? You can have 90 minutes of running back and forth and no goal. So to have a game, you know, with uh, three goals for each team and they were sort of neck and neck and this they changed hands. This one's in the lead. That one's in the lead. I mean, I'm not the biggest sports fanatic out there, but even I can see how that is uh, very exciting and you know I am um, and then to come down in the end to penalty shots. so it was a uh, it had all the makings of a of a good sporting event.
1: So it, it, it brought a lot of excitement and the conclusion of it coincided with the lighting of the first night of uh, Hanukkah. And you mentioned sufganiot rolling around. What, what what's going on with your sufganiot that they're rolling around?
0: Oh man, Alan. So I I don't know. Maybe people can hear that I'm a little too pumped full of sufganiot. Maybe I've had too many. The sugar levels are very high. I um I uh, I did have a few sufganiot. They were delicious. I won't regale everyone with the details of exactly which ones I ate. They're I'm an equal opportunity sufkaniyot eater. They're all good. But, uh, But I saw today my new discovery of sufkaniyot for this year. And I'm so excited about it. So I want to tell you. So I love when something, it doesn't have to be food. It could be anything that you think like you've seen all the different ways that it can be done. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, they just blew my mind. Like they just came out with a totally new way to do it that I didn't, I wasn't even expecting. So when it comes to sufganiyot specifically, right, we've, and we've talked about sufganiyot changes over the years. They've changed in size. There were years where it was trendier to have smaller ones, to have bigger ones. We've seen every wild and crazy flavor and combination thereof. And there was the fad of the chasers, if you recall, with the little plastic like syringes that squeeze extra juice inside of your sufganiyah. In the past couple of years, they've gotten sort of taller and taller with adding on top cream and cookies and all of these things. They're so tall and very unwieldy to eat. And just when I thought, that's it. They've done everything they do to, they can do to a sufganiyah. There's nothing else to be done. Lo and behold, some unbelievably creative person has figured out what else you could do to a soufgan yet. So what what did they do? They literally took soufganes and they turned them on their head. And I'm so excited about this.
1: What do you, you, know, you, you think? What, what do you mean they turn them on their head?
0: I'm gonna tell you. I can't tell you. I love it because it's like so simple and it's so like, I never thought of that. So when you eat a sufganiyah, it's a donut, right? You hold it on the horizontal axis, like you hold it the the wide way. Well, not anymore. They took the sufganiyah, they stood it upright. So it comes, some of them, in a little cardboard box that holds it standing up because otherwise, obviously, it wouldn't stand on the narrower edge. and cut it open, and stuff stuff in it, like a falafel. The soup can has cut open, and inside are cream and berries and all this stuff, but you hold it standing up.
1: That's a And it's so
0: new. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so who did somebody bring this to your home, or did you see it at a bakery?
0: I saw it in two different bakeries, so I don't know who thought of it first, but apparently it is the you know, newfangled trend of the year. If it happens in any other year, I missed it because I have never seen it before. And I think I would have remembered as it is. I clearly gave you the history of all Sufganiyah iterations because I've been paying attention. But it, but this is the first time I saw this. And I just think it's so cool because it's like another thing that who's ever thought of holding a Sufganiyah the other way? and opening it up and putting stuff in it
1: so so let me think through this for a second so you have a plain donut sliced down the middle and then you get to stuff it with whatever you want to stuff it with
0: so i think they could ones i saw at least they came pre-stuffed there it has its set combination of what's in it so you still order you know which flavor you want do you want the cookies and cream do you want the strawberries and vanilla do you want the whatever combination but they come standing up in this little cardboard base that holds it in that direction. And I guess you kind of eat it like, like a falafel or a taco. Or Well, I'll
1: have, I... to, I'll have to search the internet for pictures of that. Was I, it I
0: have, I'll send you a picture. I yeah. saw one.
1: <laughs> so what did the kids think of a transition of of Sufganiel being redesigned this way?
0: Uh, the kids were in favor. They had, uh, what flavors did the kids have? They had a salted pretzel and vanilla and forest fruits. And that was one. And a dolce caramel something. I am, um, And to be traditional, we also had a regular butterscotch and a regular strawberry. So try to cover all the bases. Wow. Um, but the standing up just got me. I was like, <laughs> all right, I didn't see that coming, but cool.
1: Well, something to look forward to for next year to see how somebody can reinvent uh, a donut again. i I have to say
0: it's one of those things that apparently even when you think that's it they've done everything they can do nope there's more out there
1: i have to say that one of the highlights of our podcast are our discussions around (laughs) sufganiyo so i think you've just hit a new milestone (laughs) Um, well with that being said i want to wish you a, a happy hanukkah and a happy hanukkah to all those who are listening and um any final comments liz
0: Just yes, that i will try not to go too crazy over the next 70 well That's,
1: i'm looking you know i'm looking forward to a full recap of a day-by-day consumption of you and your family's uh Sufkaniyot eating
0: I don't know whether I want to admit to the actual number of soup <laughs> eaten. eaten. was like a little tally in the corner, like ding, ding, ding.
1: That's one way to celebrate the holiday.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, thank you all for listening. This has been Israel Rebound, a podcast bringing listeners from around the world to learn about current events and other interesting things about Israel and America. Thank you, Liz.
0: Thanks, everybody. Happy Hanukkah.